Fam Elected Ghost, uh, we interview uh, artists and actors and musicians. Uh, and uh, we have Jess Davis from New York City. And you're an actor, activist, and model, and you do all kinds of interesting things. You have your own clothing line. Yes. Uh, yeah, I just want to talk to you again. We've talked to you several times in yes. the last couple of years. And yeah. uh, want to see what, what you're doing now in this kind of new age of uh, mm-hmm. the pandemic. You know, I've seen what you've been doing on your, on your Instagram. You've been doing a lot of activism. Yes. Um, maybe you want to talk about all the different things you've been doing since the last time we talked. Um, yeah, I mean, I recently, well, I mean, recently in, in terms of like within the last like six, seven months, I've been doing a lot of Black Lives Matter um, activism slash organizing, um, community organizing <clears throat> um, since the murder of George Floyd. Um, just, you know, prior to that, people who have been murdered and suffered abuse by the hands of police in the black and brown communities. Um, I've been very vocal about it in some instances, and I just found that this was a time to really take it up a notch and do more than just vocalize, but be present in a physical way. And that manifested as being an activist um, and, and doing a lot of work internally with the black and brown community in New York and specifically in Brooklyn. So that's, that's yeah. my activism in a nutshell. So I've seen you doing a lot of like um, on, on the street protests that I've seen from your Instagram and, and campaigns about, you know, police brutality and defunding the police and that whole, the whole thing that's happened <clears throat> with Floyd. But I know there's a lot of issues in New York itself, but, you're doing more than just New York. You're, you're doing it as a whole nationwide effort, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's been geared in New York just because that's where I am locally. Like, I'm, I live in New York. Um, but, you know, prior to being really active in New York recently, um, I was quarantining with my family um, in Oregon. And I went to a protest in Salem, Oregon with my brother. So there was you know, that was the start of my, you know, being more active in this movement. Um, so you, you know, I, I did it in Oregon, um, but in terms of like what I'm doing now, yeah, we want it to reach more of a nationwide level in terms of what we're doing. So my organization that I started uh, with my co-founders, um, BK for BL, which is Brooklyn for Black Lives, um, we want to move into the nonprofit space, but um, prior to us making that decision, we've been working on different policy with um, and trying to communicate with uh, senators and um, other um, uh, city council members about, you know, things like qualified immunity, the 1033 yeah. program and um, the 13th Amendment, which are all things that very much disenfranchise black and brown communities. Um, so we've been we we have connections to you know um with um with legal aid um supporters and with lawyers and we have people who can draw up uh, bills for us and bill memos for us um so we're we're working on you know campaigning our version of uh of a um anti-qualified immunity bill 
that we hope to get past, you know, uh, or at least get seen within the next like six months. Um, so we're working actively on that. Um, and it, it's that that would hopefully reach a nationwide yeah. uh, uh, platform because qualified immunity isn't just in New York. It's it's right. all throughout um, the U.S. So we have initiatives like that that are particular to policy and um, leg legislative change. And then we also have our community um, organizing and initiatives, which are mutual aid based um, and mutual aid is just, you know, um, aid that is given to the community by by the community essentially because it's not we don't rely on any um, policy makers or city council members to do these things um, and, and an example of that is um, we did we recently opened or um, installed a community fridge in Crown Heights um, and the community fridge phenomenon kind of started at the I want to say in the beginning of the spring, um, kind of when COVID was really uh, at the height of its, um, uh, you know, um, chaos like, or, or hysteria, I want to yeah, say. New York like, got hit pretty hard, you know. Yeah, we, we did. And um, I, I was, I, I had left because my family was worried and I did want to be close to them. Um, they also have a beach house that I had to myself. So that was nice. Um, so I got, I got to quarantine on the beach, but I wanted to be here and I really wanted to help people. Like I had this like need to help. Mm -hmm. Um, so when I got back from quarantining and started to be more active in the movement, um, as it pertains to black lives, I was like, well, how can we, how can we help those who are in the black and brown communities who were affected, um, by COVID? Uh, and one of the ways is to provide food. I mean, everybody has been affected by COVID in terms of resources because people haven't been able to work. Um, so a lot of people are not, are struggling to provide for their families and in all aspects of, of having resources, you know, food and, and clothing and supplies are all pretty much things that people don't have access to right now because they haven't been able to work. Um, so we, uh, Brooklyn for Black Lives, we had um, early, late in the summer, we had uh, an August action where we did a youth, um, we did a youth workshop and um, we provided some, some, some materials. And then from there, we did a school drive and we provided a lot, about maybe 100 kids with school supplies in, in the Brownsville area. Um, and then our next initiative after that was uh, the community fridge. And the community fridge is, like I said, it started kind of at the height of COVID and in the springtime because people weren't able to get food. They didn't have food. And so these fridges, you know, started to pop up. So just provide free food to the community um, who were in need. And so we decided to take that a step further and really center Black voices around our community fridge in terms of, you know, this is something that the black community has always struggled with prior to COVID is having access to healthy food, having access to food aid uh, resources that are not just food stamps, you know, and yeah. <clears throat> so we wanted to provide, you know, there's, there's so many, um, there, there's so many kind of um, blockades when it comes to giving food to the communities that need it and there's um it seems um, really crazy in the modern world 
that you have some people in some parties that think food is like what it's like a luxury mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that they you know how they you know this country has the most food of like any country in the world potentially you know and then we throw food away instead of giving it to people that need it there are certain people that think it's more profitable to throw it away than to give it to people that need it yeah i mean i think it's a lot of understanding how to um really dismantle our capitalistic belief system when it comes to providing people with resources um because a lot of the time it's oh well you know like these people didn't earn it you know they're just you know they're leeches yeah. they're parasitic and you know they're they're just lazy you know the, this this idea that people are just lazy when they are actually just in need because they haven't had access to resources they they're you know uh, there's so much that goes into um, why people don't have access to resources and it has nothing really most of the time nothing to do with being lazy um, no people are hard working people, there's a lot of people they're in food <clears throat> deserts that you know there's food deserts there's quality issues people are working you know all kinds of gig jobs and they still can't afford good quality food or access to it because of where they live Mm-hmm. And, and then you've got, you know, American farmers in the Midwest throwing away milk, mm-hmm. throwing away vegetables yeah. because it will increase their profit. Yeah. And it, this seems really obscene to, to have that going on. And then people thinking that that it's good to have this kind of Calvinistic capitalist greed. You know, greed is good. That that is actually more just than giving it to somebody that's in need is you know, hopefully with now that we have Biden <laughs> coming in and Kamala coming in, that we, we get a change. Even the Democratic Party has had some people, conservatives, that are not as progressive as they need to be mm-hmm. on this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm i not a huge proponent of Kamala or Joe Biden, to be honest. Yeah. I feel like it's just the same, you know, monster yeah. that we've all been fighting for years. It just has a different face. Um but uh, yeah, they are just as problematic as the, the Republicans are because they thrive off a of capitalist society, off of, you know, a white power structure, off white supremacy. Um, they are all complicit in that because they're not actively trying to dismantle it. They are just making excuses for it and, and trying to, quote, reform. And reform only works for the people that are actually benefiting from, from it. Um, that's, and that's why a lot of, you know, the, uh, the, a lot of the Democrats and a lot of the Republicans are all on the, all on the bandwagon when it comes to reformation, because it doesn't actually fix the problem. It's like putting a bandaid on a bullet wound, you know? So as much as I do appreciate, uh, you know, Trump being out of office, that's wonderful. We're still going to fight the same things we have been fighting with the Democrats in office um food definitely is a luxury to some to to people and then but it needs to be seen as a necessity well i think qualified immunity and people i don't think a lot of people maybe fully understand Mm -hmm. like um like police unions in some cities have more power than 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 you know the the elected officials yeah you know that, that a mayor could want to, to limit the power of the police. Oh, yeah. But the police union has more political power through their political action. Community. Oh, yeah. 
and even the governor or the, or the mayor. And you know. the reason that is, is because of money at the end of the day. Um, yeah. They, they are, uh, the police are there to protect the capital of the 1%. Um, well, even if you go back to slave times, I mean, it's it's kind of like you have sundown towns. Mm-hmm, yeah. You, and you know, the yeah. idea of the sundown town, mm-hmm. you couldn't be out, you know, after, you know, when we had uh, the end of slavery, right? Yeah. They criminalized black people. Of course. Like, cause slavery, you know, black people were never thought of be, as being lazy yeah. during, during slavery. It's just after the Civil War was lost, they had to criminalize black people. They made it so you could go to jail for loitering. Mm-hmm. If you were just walking around, you know, they, they, they put you back into a prison. Yeah, park. yeah. They get you back on the cotton field and they started criminalizing blacks to get them back in the same position. Yeah. And so the whole police state was kind of designed to kind of get back that kind of overseer control over black people. If you check the history of, of what happened, you know, it's a lot of that. Is the continuation oh, of that kind of Oh yeah, well that's that's what the Thirteenth Amendment is. It's a way to continue criminalizing black people um, legally uh, and in a in a way that is is very much akin to slavery, uh, because what they do is they um, what they they specifically target black people to put them in prison to incarcerate them. And, uh, or us, rather, as I'm a black woman. And, um, you know, that that the 13th Amendment, as much as people know that the 13th Amendment was the abolition of slavery, right? Um, But what people don't realize is that the 13th Amendment does not include those people who are incarcerated. So people who are in prison are subject to the same conditions and the same, uh, the same, a abuse as people who were yeah, saved. Yeah, you get free labor. You have, you have like a whole tier, tier, tier of like prison farms. Of course. Or prison well, factories. that's because a lot of, of companies have uh, have a, um, contracts with prisons for labor. Um, like you said, it's yeah. free labor. And uh, a lot of prisons are privatized, which means they can do what the fuck they want <laughs> uh, when it comes to yeah. when it comes to their labor and becomes to the, to the people that are incarcerated. Um, the state doesn't have. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're no better than China what? when it comes to prison factories and bars. Right, like we 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 need to really change the station of how we uh, facilitate dealing with people who have done something who've done something harmful. Right, um, the illegality of 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 these people's behavior, right, has uh, yeah. has has widely been decided by those who are criminal themselves. And a lot of politicians don't get called out for it because what they have money, um, and people who are incarcerated most of the time they have been incarcerated for very small things or or they're even they're innocent. A lot of people who are incarcerated are not found. Um, well, yeah, there's a lot of quotas. I mean, there's a lot of police that have departments that have quotas to criminalize. Oh yeah. Certain well, that's exactly what it is. They they criminalize you and they put you in uh, in jail because it it helps the cop meet, like you said, a quota for their, and, and that affects their pension. You know that affect that affects yeah. how much they're being paid. Um, just their livelihood in general is affected by that quota. And so the the incentive is if you reach your quota that you will be in a better standing 
with your retirement or your pension or whatever, or your fiscal status, um, you know, as an officer. And so that there's, there's that element. There's the, you know, I need to survive element that the, the police then play into because they want the money. Um, and then there's also, you know, just the, the, um, you know, the, the, the private entity that is whatever corporate, corporate conglomerate that is profiting off of the, um, is profiting off of it. Well, it's also, they're trying to steal the vote. You know, you know that the African-Americans tend to vote, you know, Democratic, even Democratic Party doesn't help us. Um, And so if you're a Republican, you want to limit the success of the Democratic Party by criminalizing black folks. Oh, yeah, well, it's another... You take away their their right to vote. You take away their right to vote. You make it so some criminals, if they come out in some states... They can they can't even vote. Yeah, well, it's a, it's another form of it's a, it's an extreme form of voter suppression, um, and that's that's pretty much that that's that's pretty much what the, you know the Thirteenth Amendment works in tandem with you know voter suppression tactics because you're then as a as a as a felon as uh, as a as a prisoner as an inmate, um, which these are all inflammatory and terrible terms to use to describe someone, and I like to use the term. Uh, an incarcerated person um, because it, it's it's a lot of people who are incarcerated are not criminals. A lot of these or they were criminalized by a rule like if you were criminalized 20 years ago for pot, right? Now pot's legal. Right. So or you if you are someone who is an addict, you know, or someone who has a problem with addiction or a challenge with addiction, you are then incarcerated, but really you should be re. re- you and should be rehabilitated yeah. as opposed to being punished. And a lot of these people that are incarcerated need to be rehabilitated as opposed to punished. And punishing does not work. We, we, we are aware of that. Yeah. Uh, but we do it because it makes us feel comfortable. Is, yeah. Well, I think there's a whole sector of people who are <coughs> so-called Christians that believe in this kind of punishment. You know, that they want to punish women for having children or having abortions. They want to punish people for taking, you know, illicit substances or being, you know, addicts. But they themselves are addicts. Mm-hmm. You know, the same people. It's very hypocritical. There's a lot of these people that have all these high and mighty standards. But when you pull the, you know, pull back a little bit, a lot of them have the same mm-hmm. issues. Yeah. And it's, it's very hypocritical. And it's just like they're just trying to show. Oh, you know, they're trying to make themselves like standing on the bones of other yeah. people. Um, and it's really, you know, it's, it, I think we've got a really bad example. I mean, we're the worst. <laughs> I mean, we had a Stalin, a Stalin as a president, <laughs> you know, a white supremacist, you know, neo Nazi, you know, feudalistic leaning, you know, the, the most extreme version of capitalism ever um, with Donald Trump. You still there? Did I I lose you? Oh, no. I think I lost the signal. Did I lose the signal? I think I lost you. Let me try it again. I can't hear you again. Um, I'm going to start it again.